Hello, and thank you for listening to this CD from River of Life Church. If you enjoy this disc, we want to encourage you to share it with a family member or friend. Also, visit River of Life this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. For service times and directions, visit riveroflifefl.com. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. most urgent issue and matter that he's trying to communicate. It appears that this elect, chosen, special lady to whom John was writing needed some clarification in the area of Christian hospitality and its limits and its boundaries. Just how far do we go when it comes to Christian hospitality. And I think that this passage today will clear up some things for us as we look toward the days to come. I think this is something that we really need. Now, I want to begin by reading verse 12. So we'll read verse 12 first. You should have your Bibles open to 2 John. We'll read verse 12. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. Now, the reason I shared verse 12 first is because it appears that John was saying to this elect special lady, I have a lot of things that I need to talk to you about, and I will do so when I see you face to face. But I have a couple of matters that are so important, they can't wait. And so I'm sending you this letter. And that kind of sets the stage for the importance of what we're about to read. Now, remember, as we go through 2 John, we will look first at truth, and then John will move from truth to love, and then he will finish with a clarification about Christian hospitality. Let's go back and begin in verse 1. The elder, that's how John refers to himself. He's the old man now. He's the reigning apostle who's ministering to all these churches. But in this case, he's sending a letter to one lady. Perhaps she had a church meeting in her home. We can only speculate, but we do know he's sending this letter to her. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I but also all those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. Now, John is saying to her, this elect lady, he's saying, I love you in the truth. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and all those who know the truth love you. Now, friends, if you haven't figured this out yet, people who love the truth love people who love the truth. It's part of what holds us together. 
And John says that. John says we are bound together by this wonderful eternal truth which has been revealed to us. But he doesn't even stop there. He says the grace and the mercy and the peace and the love which we have all received has been brought to us by the truth and through the truth itself. John is letting her know that truth is all important. And it is for all of us as Christians here today. As Christians, the church, this is what God had in mind for us. That we live in the truth. That we love the truth. That we are to be bound together by the truth. That all the true blessings that come our way come from the God of truth. And come to us through the medium of truth. Truth is what it's all about. And according to the Bible and If you were not here this past Sunday, you can pick up a copy of last Sunday's message out in the lobby, free of charge, by the way. We don't sell anything around here, uh, and I hope you will. But last week I shared with you and I gave you the scriptural references, so I won't go over all of the references, but our God is the God of truth. And Jesus Christ is truth and was the personification of truth. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And and the Bible is the word of truth without any mixture of error. That this is the word of God. And we are a family of faith. Saved by truth. Set apart by truth. Bound together by truth. Blessed by truth. With the responsibility of proclaiming the truth. Oh friends, for the Christian, for the church, for the Christian church. Nothing is more important than the truth. Now, before I move on. I want to make sure we're all on the same page when it comes to truth. So I want to give you a couple of definitions. First of all, truth is an accurate account of reality. You see, when you tell the truth, you're giving an accurate account of reality. You're giving an accurate account of the way things really are, or maybe... You're telling the truth about the way they're not. But truth is giving an accurate account. This past week, my youngest grandson, who by the way is six years old, runs up to me and he hands me a piece of paper. And he said, here, Papa, look what I wrote. And so I took the piece of paper and put my glasses on and I looked at it. And the moment I looked at it and I saw the handwriting and I saw what was on the paper, I knew he didn't write it. And I was concerned, but immediately I looked at him and I saw this smirkish grin on his face. And I knew, I knew what was up. I knew he was playing a trick on Grandpa. And, and normally, I just want to tell you, I play along with these games. But this time, I decided not to. So this time, I just simply looked at him, and this is what I said. I said, truth. He just stands there. He didn't say a word, I didn't say a word. And so one more time, with a little bit more emphasis, I said, truth. 
He stands up straight, pulls his shoulders back, looks at me. And friends, I am not making this up. He said, okay, I cannot lie to my pastor. I didn't write it. And then he laughs and takes off running. And I kept laughing for a while. The only thing I could figure out is, okay, if you were just my grandpa, I I could. But since you're my pastor, I just can't lie to my pastor. Well, well, friends, I I want you to know a six-year-old understands what truth is. They, They may not always tell the truth. But they know what it is. And that's pretty basic. But for those of us who are Christians, for those of us who have come into the faith by the knowledge and the revelation of truth, we understand that truth is far more than that. Truth is what life is all about. Truth is the reason for our existence. Truth is at the heart of the universe. Truth is about our God, the creator of all things. Let me give you a definition here. John MacArthur says, Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. Even more to the point, truth is the self-expression of God. R.C. Sproul says, Truth is God's perfect perception of reality, which is never distorted. You see, friends, when you tell the truth, you are giving a report of things exactly the way God sees them, and God sees them exactly the way they are. Does that make sense? One more time. When you tell the truth, You're giving a report of things exactly the way God sees them, and God sees them exactly the way they are. You you see, when you believe the truth, you're believing that which perfectly lines up with God. And when you walk in the truth, you're walking in the reality, and might I add, the blessings of God. That's what we know from Scripture. Now, everything John has to say is based on God's reality, God's wisdom, God's knowledge, not man's. Now, in those first four or five verses, he just really hits on truth. And then, in verse five, he moves from truth to love. Notice, as we begin reading in verse five. And now I plead with you, lady... Not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. You see, John moves from truth to love, and basically what he's saying is, is that truth demands That we love one another. We don't have a choice. You see, truth demands that we love one another. If you really have the truth, it involves love. 
And for those who say they have the truth, but they're not full of love, something is wrong. Something is seriously wrong. Truth demands that we love one another. We must live by truth. And we must speak the truth. But that truth must be saturated by love. And that's the reason the Bible says speak the truth in love. And, and I want you to know that you can't separate truth and love. You see, the church is held together by love based on truth and truth based on love. You, you, you have to have both of them. I want you to understand today, this is very important, that truth without love is legalism. It's harsh. It's mean. It's critical. It's negative. Have you ever been around somebody who really felt like they had the truth, but they were mean-spirited and negative and harsh and critical all the time? Oh, friends, they may think they've found the truth, but they haven't. Because a big, 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 big part of truth is love. You see, you, you, have, to have, you have to have love. I was in one church, and friends, I, 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 don't know, I don't know any other way to say it, but you could have been down at the local bar and found a whole lot more love than you could have found in that church. I was their pastor, but they were the meanest people on the planet, 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 planet. I am exaggerating. I can't, I can't tell you how mean and hateful they were. On one occasion, I was getting ready. It was a Sunday morning. In those days, we had a big choir behind us. And they had their choir robes on. And they were filing out into the choir loft. And I, they would always file right past me. I would follow them in and sit in one of the big clergy chairs. You remember those chairs? Yeah. Yeah, I hated those chairs. I hated those chairs. That was like the worst experience of my life. And I remember the day I walked off stage and said, I'm going to sit out there and worship God like everybody else. And man, it was just, it was wonderful. But anyway, that's, that's another story. I'm standing there in all of our pomp and pageantry and display. And they're filing by in their beautiful robes. And a woman walked by me. I'm serious. I'm not making this up. She walked by me, and when she got in front of me, now remember, I've got my Bible in hand, and I'm getting ready to step out and preach, and she walked by me, and when she stopped, she looked at me, and she did her fingers like this, and she said, I ought to poke your eyes out, preacher. (laughs) You know what I did? I went, Because I got to tell you, fighting with a man's one thing, but fighting with a woman, I'm not even in church, don't even try it. And, and so, but, but, but I want to tell you that truth without love is legalism. Truth without love will drive people away from the kingdom. Truth without love will close the doors of the church. We have to have love. But on the other hand, love without truth is at best just humanism. It's worldly. Love without truth is not biblical love at all. Love without truth has nothing to do with God. Love without truth is just human emotions without any type of foundation. And friends, I want to tell you, love 
without truth is a tragedy in the making because it will hurt somebody sooner or later. It's just human emotions. I, I'm, I'm amazed when I study this passage of Scripture how John connects them. He starts out with truth and then he moves immediately to love and, and, and John drives home the importance of truth and love. And he puts them together. And he, he says to her, he reminds her that this is not a new commandment. He says this, this is not something new. We've had this one from the beginning that we love one another. It's not like we're shifting gears or changing emphasis here. Love and truth have been together from the beginning. Do you remember the teachings of Jesus? Do you remember when they came to Jesus and they said, what is the first and great commandment? Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Which one's most important? What's the greatest thing? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus put them together. Jesus put commandments and love together. He put the truth of God's commandments and the love of God. He puts them together. And he says these are absolutely positively the most important. I can tell you, friends, the most important thing in your life is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And you may say, well, pastor, how can you say that? Because I want to tell you, friends, if you love God with all your heart, you won't sin against God. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't sin against your neighbor. And if you'll go back and check the Ten Commandments, the one thing that will drive you to keep every one of those Ten Commandments is love. Love. And Jesus is saying it all, it all hangs on this. Without love for God and without love for your fellow man, all the teachings of this Bible just crumble. They just fall apart. You have nothing to hang them on. And obviously, this elect, chosen, godly lady to whom John is writing needed some encouragement in this area. We don't know why. We just know she needed some encouragement. Look at verse Five again, and I'll take part of the verse out, but it's there. It says, and now I plead with you that we love one another. Now I plead with you that we love one another. John is pleading with her. This is a passionate plea. And that's understandable. Who wants to be a part of a, of a loveless church? Or for that matter, a loveless family. Would you agree with me that every church should be full of love? And every Christian family should be full of love. Love should be overflowing. Love should be everywhere. Among us. I, I have an old poem in my file that goes something like this. I remember, 
I remember the way it was. Love of God, saving grace, peace and power. Oh, I remember. I remember the way it was. Changed forever in one glorious hour. New in Christ, free from sin, born again. Hallelujah. I remember. Now my soul longs for the things I remember. Joy unspeakable and full of grace. Blessed assurance in a holy place. A church family full of faith. Always growing, filled with love to the point of overflowing. I remember. I remember the way it was. Well, friends, that shouldn't be the way it was. That should be the way it is. You shouldn't come into the kingdom and then it be all downhill from there. You, 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 you shouldn't remember your best days as those days around which you got saved. Glorious and wonderful and magnificent as that, as that is. Friends, when you and I get saved, it should be getting better and better and sweeter and sweeter and more glorious all the time. It should be fruit basket turnover. There should be love overflowing in the house of God. Love overflowing based on truth. You see, there should be truth. The church should be overflowing with love based on truth. And now I plead with you that we love one another. And now I plead with you that we love one another. And now I plead with you that we love one another. Let's be a church where no one ever has to plead with us to love one another. Let's make a commitment to love each other like God's Word says. Man, I hope and pray the Holy Spirit never has to inspire a teacher in this church or a pastor or a visiting evangelist or anybody to ever say to this church, I plead with you to love one another. Well, that brings us to verse 7, and this is where the heart of the message of John comes in and it's verse begins in verse 7. And this is where he moves from truth to love and now he gives a clarification of Christian hospitality. Beginning in verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine. By the way, what's another word for doctrine? Do you know? The teachings. Doctrine is just a fancy word for teachings. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine, the teachings of Christ, does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Do you understand that when the Bible was written, even though it had so many different authors over a span of 1,500 years, that the Bible actually has one author, and that's the Holy Spirit. And therefore, everything the Bible says is harmonious. It all fits together. 
And so anytime we read something in the Bible, it is written in the context of everything else the Bible says. And so John is writing this in the context of all that she and the other Christians had ever been taught. You understand, the Bible says some amazing things about Christian hospitality. According to the Bible, you and I, as Christians, we're to be the most hospitable people on the planet. We are. We are to be the most loving people on the planet. We're to open our homes to people. The Bible says we're to open our homes to total strangers. One passage of Scripture even encourages us, be sure and entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. You turn people away, you might be turning an angel away. I, I, was, I was thinking as I was preparing this message, wouldn't it be bad to end up in heaven and run into an angel and say, yeah, I showed up at your house, but you wouldn't invite me in. That'd be horrible. We're, we're to open our doors. We're to open our finances to people. The Bible says if you see your brother in need and you shut up your heart and your compassion toward him, how dwells How dwells the love of God in you? Could it be possible that the love of God is in you? No. Another passage of Scripture says we're to feed the poor. We're to care for them. We're to minister to them. We're to give to the poor. And one passage of Scripture says, Give to the poor and I will repay you, says the Lord. God said, if you'll give to the poor, He won't have to pay you back. I'll pay you back. And and if if you think those are big steps, listen to this. Bless those who curse you. When somebody curses you, guess what you do? You bless them. Oh, thank you for cursing me. Now, before you leave, can I pronounce a blessing on you? That'll mess their day up, won't it? You know, they'll think you're on something. And you are. It's just Jesus. And how about this? Pray for those, pray, pray for those who mistreat you. And if you think, I mean, really and truly, some of the stuff in our Bible is just incredible. I think we've been reading over it and not paying attention to it. But did you know that the Bible says that the people who steal from you, for heaven's sake, listen to this. People who steal from you, you should give them more than they steal. So the Bible says, the Bible says, if somebody takes your coat, give them your cloak also. Next time somebody steals something from you, say, hey, wait, wait, wait. Is that enough? Because I got more. And I'll give this to you. If you need it. Now, if you think I'm exaggerating, you don't know the Bible. The Bible teaches us that we're to be this one big, huge, glorious family. This supernatural family. Always loving. Always caring. Always giving. Always opening our arms. Always opening our hearts. And, and, and everything we have. We are to be people who are doing good everywhere to the point that people will see our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. We are to be a family of faith with this amazing and supernatural sense of hospitality. She knew all that. But now John is saying to her, 
even Christian hospitality has its limits and its boundaries. You see, John is saying to her, there's so many deceivers out there. John is saying there's so many antichrists out there. There there's so many people who claim to be teachers, but they don't abide in the truth. They don't live in the truth. They don't live according to the doctrines of Christ. Look at verse 7. He says, many are out there. I wonder what John would say about our day. Can you imagine? John is saying to her, we do not show hospitality to deceivers. We don't show hospitality to antichrist. We don't open our homes to them. We don't expose our families to them. We don't greet them. We don't embrace them. We don't socialize with them. We don't partner with them. We certainly don't support them. And we don't allow them to bring their false teachings and heresy into the fellowship of truth. We just don't do that. That's where hospitality ends for the Christian family of faith. We we embrace, we love, we give on a supernatural basis. But when it comes to false teachers, that's where we draw the line. Now, here's the big question. And I would hope you would be asking this. How do I know, Pastor? How do I know if somebody's a false teacher or a genuine teacher of the word and of truth? And it's not as hard as you might think. I'm going to help you, and you will know in just a few moments how to know if somebody's a true teacher. A true teacher will always base his or her teachings on the Word of God. They'll always base it on the Word of God. A teacher of godly truth will always back up their teachings with the Word of God. They'll teach you something, and they'll back it up with the Word of God. I, I want you to... I want you to Repeat a question after me. I'll say it, and then I want you to say it right out loud. Where is that found in the Bible? All right, let's do it again. Let's do it together this time. Ready? Where is that found in the Bible? Now, friends, that's a question you should be familiar with. You should write it in your Bible. Every time you sit in a Bible study class and every time you hear somebody preach and they say something and it doesn't sound quite right to you, you're not sure, it doesn't line up with what you've been taught, you need to say, where is that found in the Bible? And any teacher that gets offended when you ask that question is not a true teacher, has no business teaching, and you have no business being in their class. And when you sit under a preacher, you should be able to walk up to him and say, Pastor, I heard you today. I love that message. Where is that found in the Bible? And, and, and if the preacher gets offended, he's in the wrong place and you shouldn't be sitting under his ministry. You see, where is that found in the Bible? And, and, and by the way, if a preacher or a teacher teaches and preaches something that they cannot back up with the Scripture then they need to know it and you need to know that you shouldn't be following that. Where is that found in the Bible? A true teacher 
will always present the Word of God as it is written, even when it goes against the culture and the conventional thinking of the day. This Bible was not meant to be relevant. This Bible was meant to be true. Things that are relevant change with the seasons. They change with the culture. This is truth. Absolute truth. Today, tomorrow, a hundred years from now, a hundred years ago, through eternity. This is true. True teachers don't twist the scriptures and try to make it say something it's not saying. I can't hardly stand it. It makes me angry. My face turns as red as my hair when I read, hear somebody read and say, this is what the Bible says, but it doesn't actually mean that. It actually means this. Come on, give me a break. This book says what it means and it means what it says. And I heard one preacher say, don't try to make any other sense out of it than the sense that it's trying to make. I, that's on my level, so it may not be on your level. I understand that. Listen, a, a true teacher and preacher of godly truth will make it clear that the Bible is the full and final authority in all matters of life, salvation, Christian behavior, and eternity. And even a new Christian, a beginner Christian, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Bible in hand, can identify deceivers and false teachers. John is saying to her, Christian hospitality stops at the point of deceivers and false teachers. I close today with an illustration. And I want to ask you to kind of buckle your spiritual seatbelts. And I don't want anybody to jump up and run out of here. Because you've got to hear me all the way through on this. But here's the illustration. I want to be hypothetical. I want to just say that the two of us, you and me, as your pastor, the two of us are standing out in front of our church on a given Sunday morning. And two men walk up that we've never seen before, we've never met before. And we do exactly what we should do. We greet them and we speak to them. We learn who they are and we strike up a conversation with them. And the first man says, and I introduced myself as a pastor and you as a member of the church. And the first man said, says, well, I want to be absolutely honest with you. I'm gay. I'm a homosexual. And I've been in that lifestyle for a long, long time. And the reason I'm here today is because I have some questions. I'm searching. I, I still pretty much believe that my lifestyle is acceptable. But I'm not as sure as I used to be. I'm seeking for some answers. And I came today because I want to hear what you have to say about it. I want to I know your church's stance on this matter. And that's the reason I'm here. Well, you and I should look at that person. And this is what we should say. 
emphatically, without hesitation, you have come to the right place. You are at the right place. Obviously, God led you to this house, to us today. And friends, this is exactly what we should do. We should throw the doors of this church wide open. We should usher that man in. And we should lavish upon him the love of God like he's never ever felt it before in his life. We should minister the love of God to him. We should minister the truth of God to him. We should even identify with Him. We should let Him know that every member of this church at one time was held in the grip of sin. It may not have been the same sin He's battling with, but every member of this church was held in the grip of sin. And the same Jesus that saved us and set us free will save you and set you free. We should lavish that man with the most amazing and wonderful Christian hospitality that he's ever experienced in his life. But then what about the other man? So we go over and we talk to the other man. And the other man says, uh, I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. And I'm here in the area on vacation. And I just thought I would come and worship and fellowship with you guys. But I also have to say that I overheard what you said to that other man. And I heard what he said. And I just want to tell you that he's okay. That there's nothing wrong with him. In our church, we teach that homosexuality is an acceptable lifestyle. A lifestyle that's not only acceptable, but pleasing to God. In fact, I perform same-sex marriages all the time. So I just want to encourage you, please don't try to change him. He's okay. He's all right. Friends, I tell you, you and I, if we follow the Scriptures, we'll look at that man and we should say, you are a deceiver. You are a false teacher. You are anti-Christ. You are anti the teachings of Christ. You don't live or teach according to the doctrines of Christ. Our doors are closed to you. You are not welcome in this house. We will not shake your hand. We will not fellowship with you. We will not embrace you. We will have nothing to do with your deadly doctrine or your deadly teachings. You will find no Christian hospitality here because you are an enemy of the truth. You see, friends, it's not that person who's living in sin that we need to avoid. The Bible has sent us into the highways and hedges. To minister the good news. And by the way. All of us were in sin at one time in our lives. Until we heard the good news. It's not the avoiding of that person who's in sin. It's that we draw the line when it comes to those who condone sin. Now friends. Why 
would the Bible take such a dogmatic stand on this issue? Here it is. Because truth is too important. And deception is too deadly. Isn't it time for the church of Jesus Christ to say we will take up the word of truth? And with all the love that God gives us, we will live out this truth. But here's where we draw the line. Here's where we draw the line. Hospitality stops at the point of deception and false teachers. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you again for listening to this CD from River of Life Church. If this message has touched you today, or if you need somebody to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit riveroflifefl.com.